Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Got it. Oh, McKinley Wright. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Drift Car Sharing. I'm Henry Chisholm, and I'm here to talk for an hour about the University of Colorado, and more specifically, the athletics at the University of Colorado. Um, before we jump into that, I want to just break down what to expect from the podcast over the next few days, just because... Uh, I finally know, so I want to flex on knowing by sharing it with you guys. Uh, so today, Wednesday, obviously recording a podcast, uh, talking about uh, media availability today. Want to dig into where LaVisca Chenault could land um, in the NFL draft and, and really where he should want to land. What are the good situations? What are the bad situations? Excited for that. Was going to do it yesterday. Ran out of time. And then uh, tomorrow, Thursday... I'll be going into DNVR headquarters to hang out with Andre Simone and AJ Hayfley uh, to talk about the NFL draft. We're going to talk about uh, everything that happened in college football last week, everything that's going to happen this week, um, and that sort of stuff. You guys listen to that show. Uh, then Friday, we'll be previewing the game that is on Saturday between Colorado and and Washington, and I'm really excited for that. Uh, Washington's a good football team. It kind of looks like it might be a down year, but uh, they're winning a lot of games by a lot of points, and there have been mistakes. Like It's not like this is one of the prime Washington teams that we've seen in the last couple of years, but it's going to be a challenge. going to be a challenge. So that'll be Friday's show. Saturday, of course, is the game. Kickoff at 8 o'clock at Folsom Field. I will be there because it's my job to be there, and uh, let's see, how, how does that work? So it's an 8 o'clock start, probably gets over like 11.30, 12. Uh, media availability is probably like 12.30. Then uh, it ends around 1. And then I'll write a story and get that done at 2. Drive back here, get here at 2.30 or 3. Um, and then record a podcast. And <laughs> that'll be posted at what, like 4.30 Sunday morning? Hopefully, if all goes well. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the rundown of what to expect this week. And then next week, uh, the last week of football season, uh, I'm going to knock on wood now, now that I just realized I said that because there could actually be four more weeks of football season. If Colorado can win these last two games and work their way into a bowl game, that's what I'm hoping for. I'm sure that's what you guys are hoping for too. Uh, we'll, we'll see, we'll see how that goes, but, uh, yeah, it's it's really winding down here. Uh, it'll be a normal podcast week. Probably get the draft pod done early so that we can 
spend Thanksgivings with our families. I have a wild travel schedule next week. We don't need to dig into that. But then I'll be at the Utah game that will end the season that Saturday. Uh, haven't announced the time. We'll know the time on Monday. But it's going to either be, I think, 2 or 3.30. I think those are the two times. It might even be 2 or 3. And it depends on which games get picked. It's really looking like it's going to be on the Pac-12 network at 2. But you never know what the network executives are going to be into. Well, you kind of do. It's going to be ratings. And... This is not going to be the best game for ratings. Uh, so, yeah, there's kind of the rundown of the next week or so. Um, I have some cool things planned. Uh, going to the Rockets game tonight, which um, should be a lot of fun. Got, like, the $15 uh, buzzer beater tickets, which are the ones where the day before the game, if the Nuggets aren't selling out, then they panic and sell tickets for 15 bucks. And then an hour and a half before the game, they send you the tickets. And that's when you figure out where they are. So sometimes you get good seats, sometimes you're stuck way up at the top. And uh, if I get good seats, I'll be flexing on those on the internet, and you guys will get to see. Uh, if not, I'll probably not do that. Um, yeah, doing that tonight. And then uh, Friday, I'm headed out to basketball practice in the morning to go talk to a couple of basketball players. And I'll obviously be reporting back on what I learned from them. What a cool start this season. Um, we aren't going to dig into basketball today, but you know, just seeing Deshaun Schwartz this morning, watching him walk through the tunnel while we're waiting for media availability, you're just like, wow, that is a big guy. And that's one of my favorite parts about basketball. Like, I- I'm not sure if we've had this conversation on the podcast yet, but I'm really into tall people. Like, like not I don't, that sounded kind of weird, but basically I just mean like, if, I just like to stare at them. You know, it's just, like, weird to me to think, like, what would it be like to be that tall and, like, just to see them walk around and go about their day? I don't know. Not, I don't know. It almost sounds, like, insensitive to them when I say that, but I'm just, like, kind of in awe of tall people. I'm not sure if we have... Zookeeper was a very tall girl. Uh, call back to a month ago. Um, I don't know. It's fun for me. I'm really excited for basketball season to get started. We're, like, you know easing our way into basketball coverage, still going pretty heavy on football right now. Um, ben Girding, uh, the DNVR Buffs intern, is doing takeaways from every game, so we'll have those up. I'll continue to have those up after every game if you guys are looking for some post-game content. Um, doing a couple other things. I'll obviously have a story later on this week. Um, another story next week, and then... Once football season ends, it's kind of time to dig all the way in, buy all the way into Buffs basketball, and there's really no off season. As much as I say, like once once football season kind of dies down, I'm I'm gonna have like free time to do whatever people do with free time. You know, I've I actually have some plans. I think I've said on the podcast before, like I, I had time to buy a mattress after I moved here. Have not had time to go to IKEA and buy a bed. So I'm going to go to Ikea and buy a bed once the football season's over. Once there's like a little bit of time to breathe, I'm not like flying between here and Boulder and trying to get a bunch of work done and doing that kind of stuff. So I'm going to get a bed. I'm going to get some other furniture. It's pretty empty in this apartment. It's uh, so much we could do with this apartment. It's kind of a waste. I decided I'm going to get a fern. Um, I don't know, just as like a warm up to getting a cat or something or girlfriend. We'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, 
as much as I like to say that those are things that are going to be super easy for me and things are going to die down, we're going to go so deep into this basketball season. Um, and I'm really excited. I'm really excited. The more I watch this basketball team, the more excited I get. Just the potential oozing out of each player individually. And then you see them work together and you're like, oh, wow, this is just a perfect fit. And it makes sense to be a perfect fit. You have so many different guys who can do so many different things that you can just piece all of those little pieces together and figure out what works together. And it's not a surprise that Tad Boyle's found different ways to get a whole bunch of different players who fit together well on the court at the same time. Um, yeah. So there's some, an opening statement into today's podcast. Uh, I think that that's pretty much everything you guys are going to want to know going to the next couple of days. Uh, yeah. So, I should probably tell you just a tiny bit more about Drift Car Sharing. Incredible service. I've told you all about it. I honestly don't have too many new things to say about it. I do want to urge you again to try it out. You drop your car off at the Drift Car Sharing lot. And uh, yeah, and then you don't even worry about it. Then you get on a bus, you go fly away at the airport. You come back a few days later, your car is sitting there. It's shiny, it's clean. You may have made a bunch of money. It all just goes through the apps. You don't have to, it's not like you're like fighting for a check or doing anything. No, it just shows up on your phone because it's 2019 and that's how things work now. Um, you don't pay for parking. If they rent your car out, then you get money, which is awesome. And even if they don't, you still get the clean car. Perfect. Uh, so that's, that's drift car sharing. Sounds too good to be true. It really isn't. Uh, go to drivedrift.com and they will hook you up. They'll get you all ready to go. Okay. Um, like I said, I was in Boulder this morning. Boy, was it a weird morning. So I got back really late. You'll remember that late night podcast Monday night. And then I was a little bit off Tuesday morning when I went up to Boulder uh, because I had no sleep. Um, did not get really a chance to get caught up on my sleep. And so this morning I woke up at 8.30 and I looked at my phone and thought it said 9.30. And I was like, oh no, I have to be in Boulder in 40 minutes and that's a 37 minute drive. And so I like get up, panic, run around, you know, get ready to go as fast as I can. And then I realize it's 8.30 and not 9.30 and that I had just read the clock wrong, which makes sense because my alarm was set for 8.40. So it was a confusing start to the day for me, but I made it up to Boulder. The part that you guys actually care about, the reason you listen to this podcast, I made it up to Boulder and I had a good time. Uh, I had a chance to talk with uh, Darian Rakestraw, who I don't think I've ever talked to one-on-one. -on -one. It's getting to the point where I've talked to so many people that it's tough to remember, but I'm pretty sure every time I've tried to talk to him, there's been somebody else involved, which, you know, isn't a big deal. It's nice having Adam or Brian or Justin or whoever it happens to be also asking questions. You know, that's like a very traditional two-on-one interview that you learn about in journalism school and you practice in journalism school where it's like one one person has a list of questions goes through the questions one person isn't really worried about questions they're just worried about listening and asking follow-ups so one person's like guiding the whole thing and then the other one's kind of like getting into the details making sure you get everything um so yeah, I mean, it's it's not like a bad thing. I don't get to slap DNVR exclusive on the headline when that happens. But, uh, you know, that's not that big of a deal. Um, okay, 
Uh, what did I learn though from my conversation with Darian? Basically, he's a smart guy. Let's start there. He understands football. I think that most of the time that I try to talk to a football player, you know, interview, you get, get like a couple of week. Um, I try to guide it toward football. I'm not quite as interested in the, so how's life? How'd you get to Boulder? What do you think of Boulder? What do you do for fun? Uh, oh, your family, the ranchers. What's it like at the ranch? What was your job at the ranch? You know, I'm not super into that type of stuff. I think there's definitely a place for it in a story. I think that it's a very catchy like way to grab attention and then move into some of the more detailed football stuff. You know, it's it's very human interesty. But what I really like to talk about is uh, football. And so the more that I can push a guy toward football and the better answers you can get, the deeper, more detailed answers you can get, the more fun it is. And I've, I've said before, Mikhail Onu is a guy who you can go to and talk about football at a very high level. You know, he he will break things down. He'll break down concepts. He'll explain how it works. And that obviously all starts with understanding what the job is. And uh, on the other side of the coin, you know, a guy like LaVisca Chenault, that's not really his thing. That's not his thing digging into football. He goes out there. He knows how to win his one-on-one matchups. He, he isn't like, it's not that he doesn't have a high football IQ, but he isn't somebody who nerds out on, ooh, this route concept against this. Da, da, da. This is, Here's what we saw. We saw that they'd be playing a lot of cover two, so we wanted to use these three receivers to pull the different defense in these two different ways that so there's a gap in the middle. There's a, you know, he, he doesn't like, that doesn't fire him up as much as, I want to go out there, beat the guy one-on-one, jump over, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Mikhail Onu and, as it turns out, Darian Rakestraw are very much football people. They understand how the game works. Uh, Darian became the starter when Aaron Maddox went down with injury, retained the job when Aaron Maddox decided to, or came back, probably played into Aaron's decision to transfer and we, I, there's no news there, by the way. We haven't followed up on that in a few weeks, but no news out of Aaron uh, where he's planning on going. Uh, and part of the reason that Darian held down that position, even when Aaron Maddox, the starter, returned, is that he understands the game. Um, you know, he, he, he... If if everybody's making mistakes on this defense, everybody from... The, the front to the back, you know, the corners, the guys inside, like there have been so many mistakes on this defense. You could honestly just like start a, an Excel page. I, don't, I always wonder if I should be like saying businesses names or just like giving broad start a spreadsheet and not give them the free press. I'm like, I don't think that anybody is going to go buy Excel because I said Excel. Um, but you could like start it and just like track all the different mistakes and everybody. Although Mikhail Onu, who I think is one of the brightest guys on this defense, has gotten burned deep more than once. Um, so it's not that Darian Rakestraw came and played perfect football, but he was working with Tyson Summers. It sounded, he made it sound like he was talking to him one-on-one and he consistently went in there, talked to him, tried to learn. Um, and he says that's a big reason why he has really improved going and working with Tyson when he doesn't have to. Uh, yeah, so so there's that aspect. We talked a lot about what it's like playing with the young corners, and he said that it's actually been pretty easy. Uh, he, 
he said what I've been saying and what all of you have probably also been saying, that those young cornerbacks, whether it's KJ Trujillo, Tariq Luckett, Dylan Thomas, those are future superstars. Those are guys who, as as of right now, are on an NFL trajectory. And they're all really young. They still have a lot of time to grow and develop. And even right now, Darian says he trusts them. He says that when you're back there, he isn't worried about trying to make up for their potential deficiencies. He isn't wasting his time watching what they're doing, trying to make sure that nothing bad is about to happen that he's going to have to help out with. He's able to focus on just doing his job, which is how everything is supposed to work. Uh, he said that the trouble the defense was having most of the season, which is what we what we had, I think we'd had people tell us this. We've kind of seen it on the field, um, and that's that the defense was just too complex, that they couldn't figure it out. The playbook was really deep. Darian said that it was basically an NFL playbook. Um, he isn't worried about that going forward, though. He thinks that they've turned a corner and that you you aren't going to see the same early season mistakes that we saw this year that honestly crept into the final third of the season before the Stanford game when they really pulled everything together. Um, he, he said that the depth of the playbook wasn't just that there were a lot of plays, but all the different ways that each play can unfold. And he repeated the line that we've heard before, which is that the idea behind having this complex playbook is that in every single situation, you are giving your defense the best possible odds. So if you see the offense come out lined up this way and you have this defense called, then you make one of your three checks. Everybody switches into these different things. So every play that's called defensively is one of a few different potential plays based on what the offense shows you when they get to the line of scrimmage. That's complicated. It takes a lot of communication. And uh, they're figuring it out. He says he feels like he finally has everything figured out. And I asked, you know, is this something that we should be worried about next year uh, when when you have maybe some freshmen out there, maybe some grad transfers, some, you know, Antonio Alfano should come in and be a guy who's asked to do all this stuff with only a few months in the playbook. He said no. He said that the difference is going to be that they have a bunch of guys who've been through the system before. That that there are so many guys on this defense who understand that they can help the other guys learn what they're supposed to be doing. That they can direct the other guys on the field to say, here's what you're supposed to be doing. And there was just nobody who could do that. Only the coaches knew the defense during spring camp, and everybody... Everybody was just trying to learn their job, whether it was Nate Landman or Mikhail Onu or uh, Delrick Abrams, the Mustafa Johnson, the, the four big vets on this defense. They didn't have time to mentor the younger guys. They were just trying to figure out their own jobs. Um, and that's, that's what Darian said, and that's one of the reasons Darian thinks that they can take a step forward next year. Um, yeah, I, I think that that was kind of the gist of what we talked about today and it was all interesting stuff and he was a bright guy he broke it down really well um i think you know it's it's going to be interesting to see what this secondary looks like in 2020 what the starters look like where all the depth goes because you lose mikhail onu so you're down one of the starting safeties but at the same time you're bringing back all three of these young cornerbacks who i all freshmen who I think are going to be very good. You bring back Chris Miller, 
Um, you bring back uh, Makai Blackman, a couple more cornerbacks who were starting above these guys before they had season-ending injuries. Who knows what that cornerback depth chart is going to look like? I wouldn't be surprised if it's the two who were sophomores this year who got hurt end up being the starters next year with these three behind them. I wouldn't be surprised if all three of these guys pass those other two. I will say that this is a pretty undersized cornerback group. I think a couple of the, you know, Tariq Luckett, uh, Dylan Thomas, they have good length, but they still are pretty uh, light guys. Um, it's tough to see any of the five really making that jump to safety, seeing any of them, you know, because I think any of the five would be good starters, um, solid people who you aren't concerned about having out there. You might want an upgrade though. I think that there's a good chance at least two of them turn out to be very good starters next year. I don't think there's a way to get all five on the field though, by moving one to safety, maybe one goes into uh, the star position, but the way the star position is kind of shifted this year, it seems unlikely. Um, Mark Perry's there. He's, he's should be the number one star next year based on the depth chart at the moment. And Davey on Taylor graduating, but, uh, he could move back to safety as well. You know, there are a bunch of different ways this could shake out in this secondary. Um, I'm, I'm just not sure what it's going to look like. And that's going to be interesting. The one spot though, and this is where I'm going with all this is that Darian Rakestraw, I really do think, has locked down that uh, that other spot. Um, I think that he is a starting safety, and everything else is just going to work around him. Okay, uh, also heard from Jay Johnson. Uh, not too much to go off of there. Um, he... He he did mention that the, the complimentary football is big for this football team, just like every other football team. You have to have all three phases of the game working together. Can't be given the defense short fields to defend. Uh, punters can't be making mistakes. He, he, he also mentioned how important the punts are, how important the special teams are because of just how much yardage is shifted on any given punt play. Um, and that's something that Mel said last week when Mel said he's the most important player on the field, the punter, um, because it's a 40-yard swing one way or the other. So there's an emphasis on punting. There's a little theme that's popping up late in the season. Um, it's interesting. It's interesting for sure. Um, I think that that was most of the big stuff from Jay. Um that's that's going to do it for the first segment. Uh, in just a second, I want to talk through LaVisca Chenault's draft stock, which is actually something we touched on yesterday, and I wanted to spend more time on yesterday, but the podcast just didn't shake out how I wanted it to. Uh, so we're going to do it today. And we really haven't talked too much about that in particular this season. You know, we've run through... Where is Mustafa Johnson? And maybe it's time for an update on the draft stock and all these guys. Delrick Abrams, like, after these last couple weeks, where is he now? Steven Montez. But we haven't really dug in with LaVisca, and that's what we're going to do after I tell you about the Colorado Core. Uh, the Colorado Core is a spectacular beer from Breckenridge Brewery. I had one last night. Like I said, went to the Chainsmokers concert. It was a lot better than I expected. Um, not... 
a group that I get super excited to see. Not necessarily the kind of music that I listen to. I'm not like an EDM guy. Pretty much everything else. Not really a country guy either, but honestly, anything else. Um, it was really good. And I don't think it would have been nearly as good if I hadn't had a Colorado core or a couple. And the Hot Peak IPA, which I said I was going to try. Very good for an IPA. Um, I did notice... Oh, I don't know how to explain it. It's just hoppy, I guess, is the way to say it. It's a weird flavor. I'd never really like tried to pay close attention, but it's almost like piney. It's very natural tasting. Um, good IPA. Still not like a huge IPA guy myself. It's a bit much for me. You know, Breckenridge has gotten me away from like the Coors Light life because it's just so much better beer. And when, when we're having it like work, when we go out for work, we go try it. We go to Blake Street Tavern. I go there, take a picture of it, and then tweet it because they're good to us, so we want to be good to them. Um, through all of that, I've kind of lost that taste for light beer, which I never thought that I would uh, um, because Breckenridge Brewery just makes that good of beers. Uh, to get back to the Colorado Core, though, uh, very good, very champagne-y, very light um, a little bit sour. I, I don't really know what exactly the situation is. Probably like it's it's kind of a summary on the river beer. I haven't spent, it's a lot tougher to be on the river here. Up in Montana, it's like half the summer. You're just like floating down a river, you know, get like a raft. Everybody hangs out in the raft. Sometimes you just use tubes, but the, all of it, you're just like filled up with, with beer. And I think that that's where the Colorado core could just be spectacular. Um, I'm going to find a winter use for it. It's also just like good, so you can drink it whenever. Um, if you want to try any of these beers, you can go to the beer locator on the Breckenridge Brewery website. They'll tell you where you can go. I looked when I was in Missoula, and within 10 miles of me, there were 44 different places where I could buy Breckenridge beers. They're everywhere. If they're up in the middle of the woods in Montana, you can find one near you, and you definitely should. Because like I said, they're really good to us, and so we want to help them out as well. Um, I also want to tell you about, uh, our good friends over at Strava Craft Coffee. Strava Craft is the best kind of coffee because it, uh, it has CBD in it. Also because like you can get it at a discount with the code HYD20, which will give you 20% off. Um, it's kind of like that saying, like, what's your favorite beer? A free beer. Uh, I assume the same thing applies to coffee and it's not free, but it's definitely a lot cheaper. And so it makes it worth it to try it out. If you're like me and you blow a bunch of money going to Starbucks and like, cause they con you in with all those stars again, like I never get the breakfast sandwiches, but it says like go three days in a row or get four breakfast sandwiches in seven days or something like that. You get a hundred free stars and you normally get two stars per dollar. So it's like 50 $50 worth of stars on top of the stars that you earn from buying the sandwiches. They, they con me in with stuff like that and I end up spending way more money and I should just get switched onto Strava Craft Coffee because it's good stuff, has CBD, it's infused, that doesn't get you high, it's non-psychoactive, it just, you know, helps you in all of the ways that CBD helps you, uh, whether it's back pain, anxiety, any of that kind of stuff. So definitely check them out. Um, with the code BSN2019, you can get 20, or no, that's HYD20, sorry. Uh, you can get 20% off your order 
and they'll ship it right to you. So it's super easy, super convenient. Time to move on. Definitely time to move on. Um, to LaVisca Chenault, who there has been a lot of speculation about. You know, if you if you go back to before this season, he was a lock to go in the first round. Uh, he was a lock to go to the NFL draft. It was just so, so obvious that that was the best option for him, that he was that talented. Um, I'd say 90% of the mock drafts I looked at before the season, 90% of the player rankings had him going in the top 10 of the draft. Because of the injuries, the, the lack of production that stems from those injuries, he's falling. And that's too bad because he is extremely talented. He is a top 10 talent in this draft. The question is just what happens when he gets the NFL. Will he stay healthy? Can he be on the field? Can he be asked to do all the different things that make him so valuable, so versatile? Or would that just be the type of overuse that would result in him being too hurt to play? Um, the reason that this is coming up now is that yesterday, like I said on the podcast yesterday, he spoke with the media and was asked if he was going to be back next year, 2020 in CU. He does still have a year of eligibility left, but uh, he's also draft eligible, and there's a lot of money on the table. He may he, he, he kind of avoided the the really any answer, but he made it sound like he's probably headed to the NFL, which is the right decision, which we discussed yesterday. The question now is where exactly does he go? You know, I've heard some people say they think he might even fall all the way to the third round. I don't buy that. I still think he's probably a first round guy. I think that, you know, if, if you're the Broncos and you're sitting there with what the seventh pick in the second round and LaVisca Chenault's on the board, as as a team that needs another receiver, how could you possibly pass up that type of potential? I think that there are too many, too many good teams that can take a risk, and the Broncos aren't necessarily one of those. But even just from that Broncos perspective, where it's like you have Cortland Sutton, who's going to be a good receiver, you have Tim Patrick, who's looked good, but like you know, and then you have some other guys that you want to try out behind him. How do you not take that risk and just? shoot for one of these guys but I don't think that they're necessarily the type of team that he fits best on for a couple of different reasons one is that there are teams that can really afford that risk like really really afford that risk and those are the teams that already win a bunch of games the teams who would like another receiver another good receiver and can bet on a guy having high upside without worrying too much about blowing a pick um Typically, those teams are drafting at the end of the first round, which fits again with where LaVisca Chenault is kind of falling. You know, those are the teams that, you know, reverse order for the draft based on the standings. So those are the best teams in the league that have those picks that are where he's projected to go. Um, One place that I have seen him mocked consistently is Saint, or not St. Louis, uh, New Orleans. And the reason for that is 
obviously they have a good receiver Michael Thomas they could definitely use some more help um, especially with Drew Brees you want to make that a high-powered offense you know invest in that offense invest in the tools for your franchise quarterback who knows how much longer he's playing but then when he leaves then all of a sudden you have a couple of big-bodied receivers in Michael Thomas and LaVisca Chenault who would fit well with what uh, young quarterbacks typically rely on. You're putting a young quarterback in the best possible situation. And again, it could be like Teddy Bridgewater, or Taysom Hill, or one of those guys on the roster. I don't know how all that's shaking out, but those are a couple reasons why they would be interested in a receiver, specifically a receiver that's like LaVisca Chenault. The reason that I think that New Orleans is probably the best option for LaVisca is the way that Sean Payton runs his offense. It's just so creative. And that type of creativity plays in well with what LaVisca Chenault has in his arsenal. Again, you take him back to a, a poorly coached team, a very traditional team, you know, take the Broncos as an example again. Sure, they they started to get more creative the last couple of weeks. You're, you're starting to see an offensive coordinator, but if you, let's just think of last year's Broncos when they were terrible. You aren't ever just going to, like, run an option with a with a receiver in that offense. And if you are, it's going to be poorly planned and poorly executed. It's just not going to work. But then you look at what some of these more creative offenses like Sean Payton do, where it's, you know what, we're going to take out one of the best quarterbacks in all time and put in Taysom Hill, a guy who's like a quarterback, but also a receiver and a tight end and a special teams guy, just like a do-it-all, whatever, in some situations, just to give the defense another look. You know, they're willing to do that kind of stuff. They'll run with a couple of running backs. They'll run with a couple of quarterbacks. They 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 have all these tricky plays. It's kind of like the Lincoln Riley of the NFL. And with all the different creative things that Sean Payton can do, his arsenal has just opened up even more with a talent like LaVisca Chenault, a guy who you can line up anywhere. You can put him at receiver. You can put him at tight end. You can put him at running back, fullback, if you want to. You could run him in the wildcat. That's why that is just such a perfect, perfect fit for LaVisca. And if I'm him, that's what I'm cheering for. I mean, maybe you're trying to make a little bit more money by getting drafted earlier in the first round. But if if that's where you fall, you have to feel really, really good. Um, some other mocks. And, and there were two from the draft network in the last two weeks that both had that as the match. LaVisca Chenault going 27th to New Orleans. And I think that that it makes, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. But uh, Walter Football, another you know pretty well-known uh, draft website with the rankings and the mock drafts, respected. Um, they have him going 14th to the Raiders, which I think is kind of an interesting fit. Um, for a bunch of reasons, you know, they need the help at receiver. You, you pair him with Tyrell Williams and you have like that speed power threat. Um, this offense is close, but it doesn't quite have the weapons ever since Antonio Brown, uh, did, did what he did. There's, you know, if, if I'm LaVisca, that might not be exactly where I want to go. Although big pay raise, bumping up 15 spots. If, if it's not the Saints, you could see the Patriots as a place where, you know, they can use guys creatively. It isn't quite as superstar-oriented of an offense. 
I don't think that you get the same kind of hype that you get if you're one of the stars of the Saints offense. I mean, you, you look at what Michael Thomas has done. He's leading the league in all sorts of different stats uh, over the last few years just because he's relied upon so heavily. Look at what they've done with Alvin Kamara, a guy who was like, yeah, he could be good, but nobody really expected him to be this good. Uh, you pair him with Mark Ingram, uh, who, you know, they just are able to build all of this stuff around these guys that makes these guys look really good. The Patriots, everybody, you know, does their job. Julian Edelman, yeah, he's built a career, but it's not like, you know, for a guy who's done what he's done, I don't feel like he gets quite as much hype. Uh, you know, you have like the Gronk, but a lot of it is you just throw a guy out there and tell him to do his job. And if he does his job, that's great. If he doesn't, then he's gone. There isn't much room for mistakes. There isn't much room for error. Most places in the NFL, you make a mistake as a rookie, especially as a first round draft pick, you're still out there. They're still doing what they can to get you the ball. It's a little more freedom for playmakers than you get in New England. Still not a bad place at all to land. If you if he goes there, again, they're going to find ways to get him the ball. But I don't think that it's quite as appealing as New Orleans. You could also look at a place like the Chiefs, similar to New Orleans. And the Chiefs could definitely be interested in him with the way the offense has kind of slipped this year. It's... Obviously, the problem with that football team is the defense. It's not like the offense is what really needs to be upgraded. But if they pick up a couple guys in free agency to throw on the defense, they might say, we want the best offense in the NFL again. And the way to do that is to add a guy like LaVisca Chenault, to add another receiver, pair him with Sammy Watkins and Tyree Kill. And he's he's a different sort of receiver. Maybe they aren't so bought in into this all-speed guys with Miko Hardman and that Robinson guy. He's so versatile that you put him at tight end. Andy Reid would have a bunch of options. Um, basically, I guess what I'm saying here is that if you're LaVisca Chenault, you want to go to one of these high-powered offenses, one of these offenses that has you know, a lot of hype around it, um, where you know that the passing game is going to be strong, that there's some creativity so that all of your strengths are being put to use. And the good news is that is the draft range where you're seeing him most of the time, um, at least in these projections five months out from the actual draft. Um, I wanted to talk about a couple of the other guys and where I think they could fall. You know, it doesn't sound like Mustafa Johnson's going to the draft. Where does Steven Montez go? But by the time you get into those later rounds where most of the Buffs other draft picks, the other two maybe this year you know, Arlington Hambright Steven Montez probably are the other two um it's just so random where you can't see that this is the window these like 15 20 picks is where he's probably falling where are the best fits inside those 15 20 picks you know instead it's he's going somewhere in the third round to the seventh round depending on <laughs> how much teams like him and so it's tough to project who exactly will be most interested in those guys um, so, so yeah, uh, those are kind of my thoughts right now on LaVisca. If you guys have any other fits, you know, the Eagles, another good offense quarterback who probably wants more weapons at receiver, invest in your young quarter quarterback, do all you can to make him look better. Who knows? Maybe even Dallas. I think LaVisca is a blocker would make a lot of sense there. Pair him with Michael Gallup, a CSU guy. I, th- 
for for a run heavy offense, getting a big receiver like that is kind of a natural fit. Again, I don't like it as much as I like playing for the Saints if I'm in his shoes, but you kind of see where all of this is trending. Packers, I think the Packers could definitely want that pair him with Devonte Adams, and they have a bunch of those other guys, um, Alan Lazard, the older Saint Brown. You know, maybe they're still betting on those guys to improve rather than trying to bring in another young receiver. But when you have Aaron Rodgers, why not load up? Um, yeah, that's kind of where I see him falling. I do think that he will end up on one of these good teams, maybe even a good offense that wants to make the offense better, even if there are some bigger, more obvious needs. Patriots obviously took Nikhil Harry last year in the first round, so makes it a little less likely you're going to spend another first-round pick on a receiver, but you never know. You never know. Um, I'm going to move on from all this. Again, let me know what you think because uh, I like to hear whether I'm wrong or not. Um, But first, I should tell you about Total Bev. One of our longest tenured partners. It seems like it's been since I was a listener of the BSN Broncos podcast that we've I've been hearing about Total Bev. And then through all that, like come out and intern, come out and uh, live here. And all of a sudden it's like a part of my life, just like Blake Street Tavern. I feel like it's that same thing where I heard about them for forever from outside the state and I was really excited to come check them out and they totally lived up to the hype. Uh, Check out Total Bev for sure if you are in need of any alcohol, beer, wine, spirits. Um, it's 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 just massive. There's so much selection. Anything you could want. They're great prices. You can get 30% off with the code DNVR2019. They'll deliver if you spend more than $50, which means if you're using the code, getting the 30% off, you're spending enough to get delivery, free delivery. Um and if even if you don't spend $50, it's only like 5 bucks to get them to deliver it, which is basically just the gas money you would have burnt going out there. Um, locations in Westminster and Thornton, there's no reason not to be using this deal. 30% off on alcohol is something you just don't find anywhere. Use the code DNVR2019. They'll hook you up. Um, it's where I get all my Breck beers. Okay, uh, into the final segment where I go through your questions and talk about what you want to talk about. Because honestly, what you guys want to talk about is what I want to talk about most. You guys have some great ideas, and the more I get to hear from you, the better. Um, Also keeps me in check. Make sure I'm not saying dumb things. Um, Okay. I think we have two comments today, both from Silverbuff. Oh, there's a third from Michael Harrison. Okay, good. Uh, From Silverbuff, though, let's start with... Fans don't show for a cold kickoff, especially at 8 p.m. CU has exceeded crowd expectations for the year. No other team has 100% capacity average with only one winning season this decade. I'd predict an official count of 46,000 on Saturday. As for basketball, some people think the glory days of Coors should be back already. Those packed and loud games followed three straight tournament bids. Keep taking care of business and fans will show. Okay, let's talk about football first. We spent some time on this this week, and I think it's worthy of the time, especially because this is like about you guys, the people who are listening to this podcast, the people who are going to the football games. Um, yeah, very impressive, the crowd so far. There are also reasons in every game for this to be 
for those games to be full. You know, the schedule is broken well. It's been a very strong home schedule. One of the toughest home schedules in the country, I'd guess. Eh, things haven't really worked out for the Pac-12. I don't know. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely impressive. Official count of 46,000. I think that might be a little bit high. I'm optimistic. I'm very optimistic, but it's going to be cold. It's an 8, 8 p.m. start. The The athletics department's giving away tickets to uh, season ticket holders, like extra tickets. It's not... I mean, it's it's a little it's a little scary. We'll see what happens. It's Washington though; like that's got to be a draw, right? I would love to go watch Washington play, even if I didn't have to p- go. You know, um, we'll see. I think forty six thousand might be a good guess, though. Uh, it would mean that the Buffs finish the season at under one hundred percent capacity. Uh, the basketball stuff, fans expecting it to be packed. That that's true. It's going to take some bi- some time to build that culture back too. I did think that they would be able to draw a little bit bigger crowd for the UC Irvine game. It was a Monday, you know. I wouldn't use that as an excuse, but also my job is not bound to the day of the week. It's just as just as busy on the weekends as it is on the weekdays. Um yeah, you do need to establish yourself as a good basketball team before people really get back and care. But I would have thought that just being ranked, like that right there is a legitimizer for any athletics program. I I did think it was going to be bigger, but you're right, I guess, because it wasn't. And so it's going to take some time for people to really buy back in and realize what this team is because some fans may have lost touch over the last couple of years with what exactly is going on with Buffs basketball. If that's you guys, stay tuned to DNVR and I will have you totally covered. And so will Ben. Um, Okay, so that was Silver Buff. Michael Harrison also chimed in. I would not want to see Montez for another year. Okay. Um, So so just to recap, in in case you missed yesterday's show, Mel said that he wishes he had more time with Steven Montez, which I think is an interesting comment. I think it makes a lot of sense. You know, if you're able to somehow change the rule, make it so Montez can come back, be a, like a sixth-year senior next year, do you do it? You know, it it's a... Uh, you, you have that continuity. You have a guy who you trust. You have some time to develop him, all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, it might be time to just flip the page and move on to the next era, whether that's Brendan Lewis or you're patching something with a grad transfer. So I posed that question. Michael Harrison says, do not take Montez back for another year. Has he been the most talented quarterback that the Buffs have seen in over a decade? Yes, but we also know he's limited. He makes mistakes a fifth-year senior should not make. He will go underappreciated for how good he truly was, but you have to keep searching for the next great quarterback. Okay. Okay, I'm with you. Uh, Personally, I want Brendan Lewis to be QB1 from snap one next year. If for some reason there is an all-world quarterback sitting in the transfer portal, then yeah, maybe you go get him. But odds are there won't be. If the Buffs want Lewis to be the guy, then let him be the guy. Don't coddle him. Don't hold him back. Let him play. I think game experience is way more valuable than him sitting back and learning the offense for two years. What if they change coordinators? If your offense gets changed... What good does it do for Lewis to have sat there for two years? Let Lewis lead the new regime with Rice and Clayton and let the team grow. Yeah, 
I, I think I agree. I think that if I were in charge, that's what I would do. I, I do not remember at all what I said yesterday. So hopefully the same line of thinking is pulling through today and it doesn't sound like I'm just totally changing my answer. But uh, yeah, I, I think that would be my favorite option. And I still think that that's the most likely option is that Brendan Lewis is the number one quarterback next year. Um, I think it is time to turn the page. I think that you've seen what you can do. I think that at this point, Montez needs to be be better. You know, this is what everything was building toward. And you know what? If he goes out and plays lights out the next two games and the Buffs pull off a couple of upsets and make it to a bowl game, that's a successful season. As much as that might hurt as a football fan to hear that sneaking into a bowl game is a successful season, that is definitely a successful season. That is exceeding expectations. The standard expectation, maybe not from Buffs fans. I think Buffs fans may have been a little bit higher on the potential for this year for a bunch of different reasons. Um, but I, I think that uh, definitely outside of CU, the expectation was three or four games. They've they've won four games. So there you go. Um, I'm excited about Brendan Lewis. I really am excited about Brendan Lewis. If he doesn't come in and just tank in camp, I think you have to let him play and let the team grow and start to figure out what you have, start to let him develop, start to figure out how you want to build this offense around him. And there's going to be a learning curve. But guess what? If you hold off a year and he becomes a starter as a sophomore, there's going to be a learning curve for him as a sophomore too. It might not be quite as steep because it's... uh. He's had another year of practice. He's had a redshirt year, likely. I think that that might factor into some of this too. But uh, yeah, uh, I, I think that your best option is to put him in, let him play, and build from there. I still think you go after a grad transfer. I still think, I mean, at the very least, you're on the phone, you're talking to these guys, you're you're going through anybody who could be starter quality and seeing what's up, seeing if they're interested, seeing if they're as impressed by this offensive line and group of receivers as they probably should be. And it's it's more of an insurance thing than anything else. And that's going to be a tough sell. Um, assuming that you're just being completely honest with these guys, you're not trying to burn bridges, you're not trying to make people mad, and you're saying, you know what, we think Brendan Lewis is the guy, but if you want to come be the backup, and if something happens, whether it's an injury, knock on wood, or it's uh, it's uh, just poor play, he isn't ready, he's looking like an 18-year-old, then yeah, then you're the guy because we think that you're a step ahead of the other two in Tyler Lytle, Blake Stenstrom at this point. That's going to be a tough sell because anybody who's a grad transfer, one year of eligibility left, they're going to be looking for somewhere where they can play probably ahead of anything else. You never know. It's it's true that most guys in that position probably aren't going to the NFL, so maybe they are just looking for a way to pay for school and they want to go to a school that see you, like, like they want to go down an educational path that is a strength at CU. Maybe maybe the classroom draws them in, but that's probably what it's going to take if that's your thought process. You know, we're looking for a guy to come in and be a backup or, you know, 30% chance he winds up being the starter. It's going to take some other factors, such as maybe being from Colorado, maybe having family out here, 
Maybe you want to go to one of the schools here that is... I, I don't even know what CU is good at. I just realized going through this. I'm going to Google what what Boulder, CU Boulder students are getting into. Because I honestly don't know. Um, But yeah, like you're probably going to need some of that. Now, the other option is for Mel to uh, lie and say it's going to be a competition. Or, you know, maybe even not lie. Maybe in his mind, it isn't just Brendan Lewis. You aren't just trying to find Brendan Lewis um, a backup. Maybe he really does want to see if one of these guys can come in and win some games next year. That would surprise me given what I've seen and what I've kind of heard about where this program is. I think that Mel is trying to build this program the right way, you know, bringing in young guys, developing the young guys, and doing it all with an understanding that it might be a couple years before you really get back to where you want this program to be, you know you're not fighting to be a top 25 program next year. You're trying to be a top 15 program two years from now. That might be more where his eyes are set. And I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. And if that is the case, I would guess that, uh, I I would guess that he would lean towards starting Brendan Lewis, not just to develop him, but because that changes the standards that he's setting for the program, the external standards. You know, by bringing in a grad transfer, you're saying, we expect to win this year, and we expect to win enough more games that's worth sacrificing year of development from Brendan Lewis. And if you say that, not out loud, obviously, but through your actions, it changes how you're graded. You know, you're, you're no longer graded on as steep of a curve Fans have higher expectations for that season. And I don't think that he's necessarily scared of high expectations, but if if you are trying to build something that's strong two, three years ago, or th- three years from now, instead of something that's strong next year, why make those expectations for next year tougher for you to attain? Why not stay in Buffs fans' good graces for as long as you can and really buy into the future? Give yourself more time. Keep yourself off the hot seat for as long as possible. Um... Again, I don't think that Mel's the kind of guy who's too worried about avoiding the hot seat. I think he's just trying to build this program and do whatever's best in terms of building this program for the future. Um, Because all of a sudden, if you start thinking about those other things, it becomes less likely you build a good enough program to stick around anyway. So yeah, I, I, I do think that Brendan Lewis is the favorite. And those are some of the reasons why I believe that's true. Um... It is worth noting, and I think I mentioned this for a second, that you could just redshirt Brendan Lewis. You only get four years of him on the field, and you can not start that clock next year. You Again, you never know. Like Knock on wood, he could get hurt his junior year, three games in, and be able to call that a redshirt year and get that year of eligibility back. On the table, for sure. Like, there... You're not guaranteed to play all the time, but I, I I don't know. There, it would be tempting to let him sit a year, learn everything. It wouldn't be nearly as much fun for us, you know. You look at the Nuggets right now with Michael Porter Jr. Just sit him for an entire year. Don't even get to see him. He's not playing any basketball. Everybody's getting excited about little clips of him taking jumpers in socks after practice six months into the season when he's finally back out there doing anything at all, it's painful. 
And even now, now in his second year, they're easing him in. You're not seeing a lot. That's that long game approach. That's the kind of approach that I would expect from Mel typically. This might be a different scenario because you are kind of changing the standards based on the decision that you make with Brendan Lewis. Um, That's probably good on that talk. I want to cap it off with this. If I were to say what I think is going to happen, I would say most likely Brendan Lewis is the starter. Second most likely, uh, a grad transfer is the starter. Third most likely, Tyler Lytle or Blake Stenstrom takes a step and takes the job. Um, If Brendan Lewis becomes the starter, I think that it's about 50-50 that Colorado still... I'd say 75-25 that Colorado still brings in a grad transfer. Um, just because you want a veteran backup. You want a security blanket just in case Brendan Lewis isn't ready to go. Um, You don't do it until after Brendan Lewis has signed his letter of intent, though. I'll tell you that right now. You don't do anything that could risk scaring him away. What is he now? Is he the third-ranked prospect in the Buffs class? Fourth? Somewhere around there. Somewhere around there. Very good quarterback prospect. There's a good chance that he's going to be ready to go. Um at least good enough to justify letting your freshman quarterback develop next season. Um, in terms of what I want to see, Brendan Lewis all the way. I think that that's easily what's most exciting for fans, for media, for anybody who's paying attention to the program. It's a freshman dual threat quarterback. I don't know that there's anything more exciting for a college football team that isn't you know, competing for a national championship that season. It's it's like Christmas. What do you what do you even have? Like, is all this going to pan out? He looks good. He looks good. Uh, that's it for Brendan Lewis talk today. Uh, I will be back for tomorrow's podcast. Tomorrow will be the draft podcast. Like I said with Andre, and I think AJ's swinging by. It's going to be a lot of fun. Always a lot of takes. I had a chance to actually watch some college football this week uh, that wasn't the Buffs. Um, so that's going to be a cool experience. Uh, that's the plan for tomorrow. Friday, I'll be back with a preview of the Washington game. Oh, also Friday. Oh, there's so many notes that I had. We're, we're going to skip most of these notes. But Friday, I think, I can't remember the time. I'll pull that up. That's when Colorado plays North Carolina in soccer. I always want to say Northern Carolina because of Northern Colorado. And I hate that about this. But uh, Buff Soccer takes on North Carolina in North Carolina at 4 o'clock on Friday, the second round of the NCAA soccer tournament. They call it the uh, the College Cup. Definitely call it the College Cup. Took me a second to pull that one. Um, it's going to be a tough tough match. We'll say that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that at some point, too. I guess this was the last real podcast before then. Well, that's too bad. Um, hopefully, we'll get to talk about how they won this game on Friday. Um, you should be able to watch it somewhere. I'm not sure exactly where. Definitely check it out. I don't know. I wonder if I could give him to play at Blake Street Tavern because that'd be a good time to go watch. Um, yeah, uh, watch them. They're good. They deserve the support. Uh, they just flew out there today. They're getting ready to go. It'd be such a big win. It'd be such a huge win for that program. Okay, that's actually it for today. I'll be back with those guys tomorrow. I'm really excited. Hopefully, you guys are excited too. Leave your comments in the comment section for today's show. And we can uh, talk about those on Friday. 
And if you have any questions about college football or the draft, we're going to be breaking down the college football playoff rankings. We're going to be talking about all the games, all that kind of stuff. Um, If you want to know who your favorite team should draft, we'll dig into that if you leave a comment in the post for the last draft podcast, which I believe was last Thursday. When did I fly out? I think it was Tuesday, last Tuesday. So if you go back to last Tuesday's podcast, it's like DNVR Draft Podcast, can leave a comment in there, and we will get into that tomorrow, Thursday afternoon, when we tape that podcast. Um, Thanks for listening, as always. See you tomorrow. And see you later, baby. baby. Colorado Army with soldiers like the Navy. Yeah. And voters where we stationed, patiently awaiting. When I hit the field, it's so hard to behave. Yeah. I'm Colorado swagging at the crowd, do the wave. Look into my eyes, I can tell that you afraid. Uh-huh. Cause you know we finna hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hit ya. Hey, hey. You on your own now, why you watching the official? Yeah. You just better hope you make it to the next whistle. Yeah. And we ain't playing with you, you can get it.